0: Rippey right, Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Weldon Rodenberg on as football season is back, kind of. Ole Miss began fall camp on Wednesday. We covered a plethora of different storylines, Lane Kiffin's opening press conference, some big picture thoughts regarding this team, roster construction, and a whole lot more. And of course, the fastest growing segment on American soil at the end, Soccer Corner. So buckle up. Thank you. Enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you this podcast is brought to you by C Spire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home Internet provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. C Spire also prides themselves on having the best customer service in the market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. C Spire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and southern Alabama region. C Spire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. That's a lot of bits. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com today and use promo code RIPPY and check out for one month of free service. So my listeners, if you sign up for C Spire Home Internet, I have it at my place. It's terrific. I couldn't be doing this podcast without it. Can't be having internet going in and out. If you sign up today for Cspire home internet and use the promo code rippy you get 1 month of free service take advantage of that today Cspire customer inspired podcast is also brought to you by rentthesipoxford.com are you planning up to come to Oxford soon maybe if you've been slacking on reserving a place Rent the Sip oxford has you covered their turnberry unit sleeps 8 comfortably it has amenities such as tennis courts a pool a spa it is gated it is less than a mile from the old miss campus Right there on Old Taylor Road, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vault Hemingway Stadium, and of course, almost a straight shot to the Grove as well. Go to rentthesipoxford.com to check availabilities. They have openings still for Vandy ULM. And Mercer football weekends. This is a terrific place in a prime location, particularly on big weekends. It can be hard to find a place, or maybe you're just passing through and don't want to screw with the hotel on a random weekday. You need to check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. It is one of the best places to stay in town. Book your stay today. Go online, rentthesipoxford.com. And check availabilities. If you use the promo code Rippy rights, that's R I P P E E rights, R I T E S. I don't know why I had to spell that part for you. You get a hundred bucks off any two night stay minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. Great people, Bracken Ray, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. Check them out today, rentthesipoxford.com. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg on the start of preseason camp. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting staffer Welton Rodenberg. We are back. Another season is upon us. I feel like this episode we do every year at the start of camp is the real kickoff, the football season. We actually have real stuff to talk about. It's kind of a slow build until you kind of hit the sprint starting in September. I'm looking forward to another year. Did you share the same excitement I had as watching and keeping up with everything today as we record this on a Wednesday night?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I saw when ESPN or I guess it was just the college football ESPN page tweeted out their new song of the year with their little hype video. I think that's kind of really when football season starts, when they decide uh, what songs going to be stuck in your head for the next 12 months. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I told you earlier, I was at home all day today and there was a lot of college football news and none of it was about actually playing football, which I think is always fun. Uh, so it's it's definitely game time, and it's coming. Even though it's really not that close, it really it really is.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, we're four weeks away, but for really just seeing college football on your television, you're about three weeks because remember this week zero concept started a couple years ago, and it was like, all right, you got one or two games. I think maybe one of them was, like, played in a foreign country. I can't remember exactly what the first week zero looked like. Yeah. But you still – like now, three years later, you kind of have like a half – halfway full slate it's not necessarily games you'd want to watch but there's like six seven on a week zero Saturday which is great it's a great like palate cleanser before you dive into the season but as they keep like extending this stuff back I remember in like high school football great the glory days of the MIS they kept starting the season earlier and I was like is college gonna say say the same thing like us doing this podcast in 2030 or gonna be like all right, it's week negative two, it's August 7th, and we got games this weekend. I'm not complaining about it at all, but it's just crazy like how much that week zero thing has grown from just like two random games to like, hey, there's like 15 teams starting their season a week early.
0: Oh, I mean, if you don't think I was up at 10 o'clock last year uh, betting on Vanderbilt over Hawaii, you're sort of mistaken. (laughs) Because I was. Uh, I'm fine with week zero. I think we always get really excited for it, and then it comes and we're like, actually kind of fuck this. I want the real it game. It kind of sucks. Start. This is actually, like, not fun at all. Uh, but that combined with combined with the preseason in the NFL, like, those kind of weeks leading up to the real thing is always really exciting. And, of course, for, like, the really hardcore fans, this week, starting with camp, is, like, kind of really where it all starts.
1: Yeah, and, like, it's the idea of just seeing football on your television for the first time in six to nine months. Like, I remember last year – uh Like that, it's still that the the re the it really sets in for me as much as I talked about week zero growing that first Thursday night. Like that Pitt West Virginia game last year was a terrible football game, but it was close and like dramatic. And I was like, Is this one of the greatest games you've ever seen? I'm like, No, it's just week one against two teams that won like seven games this year. But you're like, have to like recalibrate and get your brain
0: back into football mode, which I enjoy. No, yeah. I mean, I they always do a pretty good job of putting a game that like we used to kind of care about on those Thursday nights. And now we like, we really don't give a shit. Like sometimes they will put like Georgia tech and Clemson. They've started putting yeah. like full conference games on week one. And that kind of like reels you in slowly to the, the rest of the season. I think like Indiana plays like Ohio state week one. I actually do think Georgia tech plays Clemson on, like a Monday night in Atlanta this year. So it's always very random, but uh, I think they've done a pretty good job of like kind of spacing it out correctly.
1: And it wasn't that long ago. It was my freshman year, your senior year of high school, if I remember correctly. Ole Miss was on there. It was the Thursday night at Vanderbilt, the whole Jeff Scott game, which was very weird way to start the season. I don't know how I would have thought or felt about it when I, if I were covering sports back then. But, like, Ole Miss has been involved in that in the not-so-recent future. And it's just – I don't know. I thought that was a very weird start to the season. That was like peak James Franklin. It was actually a pretty damn good road win for Ole
0: Miss. I actually was uh... – so at that point in time, I didn't really know where I was going to college. My dad and I actually sat on the couch and watched that entire game because, like you said, what else are we gonna do? It's Thursday Night football. That game was awesome. I was I remember being like, wow, like this is actually an incredible football game. That was like what Jordan Matthews and uh, Jeff Scott, like this really really talented. Two really pretty good teams there. Uh, Vanderbilt, unfortunately, not anymore. Uh, but I'd like vividly remember the that was a kick return, punt return that Jeff Scott brought back after like Vanderbilt went and scored or maybe it was just a really long run. It was um, a sweep. They started
1: that drive. They were like down three and it was like first or second play, of the drive. And it's like, all right, he got 12 or 13. Like, can they kick a field goal to go to overtime? And all of a sudden he made one move and it was like, oh, actually, he's he's about to score. This is about to be a 78-yard run.
0: (laughs) That was a crazy game, but that was also like – Peak Ole Miss, where like you know, Vanderbilt to start the year, like it's pretty tough scheduling.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it was like uncharacteristically tough because it's like, damn, that actually that Vanderbilt was a good team, and I remember the year before. Well, oh, Hugh Freeze's first year, which is still one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen, the way they won seven games, plus, including the bowl with that team. They were up like 24 to 6 or something on Vanderbilt at home, which was the theme of the second half of that year. It actually blew the game. It was Jordan Rodgers or whatever it was and like didn't capitalize on that. And that was kind of one of the games I thought about the year before that was like, this team could have actually won nine games in Hugh Freeze's first year if a couple of bounces had gone the right way.
0: Jesus, that's, that's, that's tough. Losing to Vanderbilt is tough. I don't care who you are. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's, you're really behind the eight ball, particularly if that's your permanent opponent, like Ole Miss is. So Ole Miss started camp as we record this on a Wednesday night, they had their media day, their local version of media day today. Um, after their first practice, I think they practiced at 9 a.m. Kiffin spoke to the media at like 2 p.m. Uh, we obviously will hit some presser notes and I guess that's kind of where where we'll start. Um, nothing really totally outside the box out of this presser. I wrote a newsletter last week about Lane Kiffin offering big picture thoughts and kind of the bad faith criticism that was associated with it from some, uh, I would say, national talking heads. What was fascinating to me, and I guess this is everyone's favorite topic now, Lane Kiffin talking about NIL and the state of college football. But what was interesting to me about today's press conference is about 19 minutes. And even on a local level, um, he was still fed five or six questions about portal, roster management. I mean, hell, some guy after SEC media days even still asked him, what do you think the future of the portal in college football is? It's like, dude, did you not get your fill of content of that last week? How many different ways can he answer the question? Lane Kiffin was still very good answering those questions, but it's just funny to me that really everywhere he goes, national scene, local scene, he continues to get questions like that all the time. And I know we talked about that post SEC media days, but I just found that fascinating.
0: I do think that there's sort of like a a need for confirmation on your own opinions and Lane provides that for a lot of people in college football where people are like, I really don't like this. Will you as a college football coach agree with me and answer my question exactly kind of how I want you to, so that it will be kind of a a confirmation bias on on our end. Um, And like I said, there's parts of Lane's answers to those questions that I completely agree with. There's parts that I don't love. Uh, I do think he did like a more nuanced job today uh, answering some of those to the local group, which I think is kind of unlike him. Usually it's the kind of either the same answer or like even less um, newsworthy, uh, but he he was fine today. I, I don't think it was, you know, overly excited, overly down. It was just a typical day. I do think the one thing, I mean, we'll talk about it later that he did say during the press conference about like them doing their own, kind Of roster calculations, and that they only have three juniors or seniors that uh signed with Ole Miss from high school on this current roster is insane. Probably not true, but the fact that like it's even close to that number uh is absolutely insane.
1: I had that note written down too that we'll get to in a second, but that was another that was one of the moments in the press conference where I was like, Whoa, that's fascinating! Like, is that actually true? and it made you think of it. But yeah, it's like the Kiffin thing, and this kind of is on the heels of the newsletter I wrote about last week, but like I had to categorize him at, I would say him at his best when he's talking about subjects like that, because it seems to interest him more. I mean, my God, you asked the guy about a depth chart or an injury or what's this guy, how's he coming along? He could not appear less interested in answering the question, which is totally his own prerogative. I get it. i mean, i've 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 lived that life for three years being on the other end asking coaches questions like that. He fakes it less than others, which I almost appreciate more. But what was interesting about today is what you mentioned it being more nuanced is when he first started getting asked questions like that, like part of me thought it came off is whiny, but like I watched the SEC media day press conference. I was like, actually, he's just kind of being honest. Like, did he expand on every side of it as much as he maybe could have or should have? Like, no, but he's also in a room of like 400 people that he's not used to seeing. Like, even just visually, it's not the same setting you usually see. And now he's back in kind of his home home state, home, I say home state, home environment of just like the local media. And he seemed to cover every side of it. Like, he was very quick to cover his bases of like, I'm not complaining about it. We utilize it. We max about it. I maximize it. Um, I'm not saying college football is broken. I'm just telling you these rules are dumb. It seemed like he was very much more conscious about covering all of his bases. And I wonder how much of that is this seemingly somewhat new version of rain where it seems like he does factor into some of his bigger picture answers, what other people say in reaction. Like, I feel like Lane Kiffin, 2020 and 2021, he was just kind of firing from the hip. He'd just say whatever. And it now seems like when he answers something, it's like somewhat morphed off of a fine reaction or a column that was written or something like that, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's, it's not a gripe by any stretch of the imagination, but I just found that piece of it fascinating. Like I think him covering his own bases today and being more nuanced was a direct result of whatever bullshit that fine bomb spewed on first take two weeks ago in July.
0: No. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I just, Sometimes, you know, and I think it's really just a what's coming from having the same questions over and over again. It's like you have to, you know, how many ways can you answer it? You. Yeah, th- you have to think about it in different ways. I do think that, you know, he's taking it upon himself, to like educate him a lot more on exactly what's going on, because the first times when he would just answer these questions, it'd be like, you know, this is all dumb you know, this is stupid, disaster. And I know he said that again, but like, it was like way more like whiny. Don't you think
1: it was more rooted in him thinking he was a small pot in terms of the NIL? That's the main difference to me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, of course, the question I always ask myself is like, is Lane Kiffing stepping on the soapbox if he's coaching at the University of Texas about these issues? My opinion, no, he's not. He's just going on with his day. Uh, But I do think that him... Kind of having to face all face these issues at Ole Miss, a place where like you know, there's not Texas A&M money or USC or Miami. They're you know they're not poor, but it's not. You you can't just require every resource you need to make everything happen. You have to do a little bit more. Uh, I think it makes him have to educate himself, come up with these answers, and and not even in a complaining way, but in kind of like a This is what's going on with us. We know that we're absolutely not the only program dealing with these rules and these issues, but I'm going to tell you what I feel because this is what I have to deal with as the coach of Ole Miss. Some people are like, well, you're getting paid $9 million to figure out your roster, figure it out. No one cares. Have a good day. But I do think there's other coaches and other media members and everyone around college football are like, yeah, like, you know, we're totally with you. We understand your your points here. What's it going to do? I don't think anybody really knows at this point, but it's it's becoming a much more uh, educated, nuanced and uh, kind of a singular frustration when it comes to NIL on the portal.
1: I totally agree. I think your gauge of would he say answer the same way if he were at Texas is an interesting one. Because like today, my answer would lean closer to yes, where he's like, yeah, we maximize it. But this these rules are nonsense. Like that would be closer to yes than if he were at Texas than some of his answers in the past. But like it, what's fascinating to me among many layers of it, too, is now it's become more portal focused instead of him doing. I mean, he used to say the highest bidders and we got outbid for D.J. Durkin or we, you know, NIL funds and uh you know, salary caps and stuff like that. His gripe seemed to be more shifted toward now the actual problems of him being like, what other sport do you, can any player just elect free agency two, three times a year, whenever the hell he wants to like, that seems to me to be the difference. It's like the actual issue. It's not, I mean, yes, dudes getting paid and that not being regulated. Okay. Yeah. That's a problem, but it's always been the case, but this whole dudes can leave whenever pretty much three, four times a year that not being the case in any sport in history, like, that seems to me him getting more at the root of the problem.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really the problem that he should hit at much more than NIL. I mean, because when he was talking at media days, he was like, well, if you want to see who has the most money, it's just <laughs> like the recruiting rankings. rankings. And of course, like the obvious response to that is, well, Lane, I don't know if you looked at the recruiting rankings over like the last 20 years, but it's always been the same teams that are in the top 10. Nothing has changed in that aspect, but the portal does change things because certain teams are just kind of able to pick apart other teams. And by the way, everyone's doing it, but nobody has like just the internal resources of like a Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, where their roster is already tip top. And the ability to just kind of add on to, you know, really any player with a certain sum of money at any point in time during the year it is really dumb. Um, but I, I kind of, get a little annoyed with all of it because all these coaches I mean lane is not absolutely not the only one complaining about this he's just lane kiffin so he gets the big headlines but uh trent dilfer at uab and mac brown and especially narduzzi at Pitt have all said the exact same thing uh but it's just like well you're probably doing it too you're just frustrated because they're going for your big boys such as jordan addison and drake may and for kiffin clearly quinson junction so it's more of a kind of what they're experiencing, whereas Alabama is probably not, you know, having a lot of people call. I mean, for instance, Bryce Young last year, like, hey, we'll offer you this. Like, that's just probably not the case, but they think they can attack programs at certain levels in certain situations to benefit them. And I think that's becoming really frustrating to a lot of programs, a lot of top 20 programs in the country, just maybe not like the top five.
1: I don't do listenership surveys because I'm nowhere near smart enough to figure out how the hell that would work. But like, I'm always like careful around this topic, you know, a year and a half, two years in, because I feel like some people out there listening are like, Jesus, this, like this shit again. Cause like we're saying different variations of the same thing, but like, it's also topical because news stories come out and like, you got to talk about it. But the last, now that we've covered everyone's favorite topic, the last thought on this Should we start scolding media members who continue to ask this in season? Like I have now, and I'm more interested in this topic than I would say the average listener, but I've now had my fill of Lane Kiffin talking about the state of college football questions. If he starts getting these in September, should we send that media member uh, one of those poop in the mail things? Should we chastise them publicly? I feel like we should make some decoration now that we're into football mode. I don't need to hear
0: Lane Kiffin talk about the portal anymore. Well, I completely agree. I don't need to hear anybody talk about NIO. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's not specific think, to Kiffin. And what, which is why, like, I, it's not, like, a certain frustration I had with Kiffin. It's just, like, college football in general. Because I think, like you said, if you ask everybody, no one gives a shit. Yeah. Nobody cares. Which is why, like, sometimes I'm like, God, I like, Kiffin or whoever. It doesn't have to be. It could be any coach. Like, I just don't want to hear you complain about it. Because as fans, the only thing we care about is are you winning games on Saturday. Like, we don't care how you get there. We don't care how you manage your roster. I mean, I might a little bit because I've, you know, at least been there and be like, okay, I like this, don't like this. But at the end of the day, nobody cares, which is why some of this kind of falls on deaf ears, which is like, yeah, if it's in the middle of October and Ole Miss is winning or losing games, we're still talking about this. I think it's just going to start rubbing people the wrong way at any program. That is not Ole Miss specific. It's going to get super, super annoying super quickly.
1: One of the things he talked about today as we kind of dive into the more Ole Miss-centric piece of it is chemistry. Um, And this was one of the answers where when he started his answer, I was like, oh, is this like a red flag, or is this a moment I should write something down, where he talked about like chemistry with the amount of transfers that he has And he mentioned something about, like, with the system that the NCAA has has set up. And then, like, in his next sentence was, I'm like, oh, is this something here? He said, and also one we've leaned into and we've maximized and utilized, so it's on us, too. But chemistry is hard. Like, trying to get these guys that are from different places, it goes back to the staff that you talked about a second ago, where he said he thought he only had two or three guys that were upperclassmen that started their careers here on an 85-person scholarship roster. I'm not going to go do the math and say whether he's right or not. I don't think he's making it up out of thin air. I also don't know if he's exactly correct. But that being in the actual ballpark, anywhere remotely close to being true, is a pretty remarkable stat. And it's certainly a choice Ole Miss has made in the way that Kiffin and his staff have tried to build the roster. But on a chemistry standpoint, like that's a, I feel like sometimes that's kind of like swept away as they oh, it's just a coach talking about chemistry. That's a real thing. Um, Like getting a bunch of dudes that haven't been here and been in the program and done the way – done things. I go back to an answer Kiffin had. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but one of his portal classes he was talking about, we did like a walkthrough of like how we're going to go play our first road game and like what time you get to the bus and all that stuff. The little things that may not matter on the field but make guys comfortable and them getting familiar with each other is a difficult aspect to really kind of smooth over in four weeks of camp. And I just find that piece of it fascinating. I know you worked in it pre, you know, free reign transfer portal era. But like, like what, kind, what do you think about the idea of it being difficult in this modern day and age if you take a lot of transfers, of molding them together in an actual unit and actually creating team chemistry, which matters in football, maybe more so than any other sport?
0: I mean, it's incredibly difficult to get real chemistry with the way that, that they're building the roster right now. I mean, not only the fact that, you know, they only have three guys or whatever, junior and seniors. And, you know, before every season, you do go through your entire roster, especially when you're recruiting. and be like, all right, where do these kids stand? And I think that's more important than anything now. You know, where they stand by, like, what's their graduating year? Are they redshirt sophomore? Yada, yada, yada. With, you know kind of the end of the covid years coming through and you know who knows what eligibility even means anymore it's really even more important so I have a feeling they probably did that like a week or two ago and came out with that number and we're like oh my God like what is going on um but I uh so I'll, I'll get to chemistry but I told you earlier in the week when we were doing the pod that I read the Bill Connolly preview for the SEC West and Bill Connolly, Works for ESPN. He does like a lot of numbers. He's a big number guy, big analyst. He made his
1: head in that SP rating stat that he created.
0: So I know this is terrible, Pa, but I'm going to give you like kind of what they had about Ole Miss because they don't have questions about everybody um, and not questions is not like a good or bad thing. It's, It's just like, what's the preview? And his thing for Ole Miss was like, can Ole Miss find stability and instability, which is exactly what we're talking about. And like in the first paragraph of the six coaches who reeled in at least 16 transfers in 2022, three were first year guys, including Brian Kelly. One was a second year coach and was desperate, desperate Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. And the other was Lane Kiffin. This year, five coaches have brought in at least 25 transfers. Three of the five are first year guys. Deion Sanders. The other one is second year head coach, Rhett Lashley. And the third, I mean, the final of the five is Lane Kiffin. So nobody in the country in this established position is building their rosters like Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss is. Nobody's doing it. So it's very, very. Question is what is this team chemistry look like? How do they do it? how do the, it's not just on the players either. How do the coaches, you know, build the chemistry with themselves and then with the players that they really don't know and have not known and have not recruited for more than a month, you know, during the portal windows, whether that was in the uh, the winter or the summer. I mean, Kiffin, even at, at media was like, yeah, like we're watching spring film and we're like, yep, there's that tight end from Memphis and the receiver from USC and the quarterback from USC and the offensive lineman from UAB. Like, I don't even know their names yet. And like, that's not really a knock on him. And I'm sure it's a little tongue in cheek when he's saying that, but it's true. And you're the only team doing this. So you need to be the team with the utmost respect towards building that chemistry, finding your leaders. And really you have to do the small things better than anybody else. And Kiffin, you know, when it comes to coaching and actual practice implement, implementation of scheme uh, on both sides of the ball and that stuff, he he's as good as it gets. But He's got a lot of work to do with this team, as he admitted last year, like towards the end, he think they got away from themselves a little bit when things started getting tough. But this year with this schedule, he's going to have to do some serious work along with the players and the rest of the coaches and figuring out how to build this team into one and like have some sort of a culture that can go year to year.
1: Yeah, you outlined that perfectly because as you started that answer, I was sitting here looking up, trying to figure out an exact transfer count that Ole Miss had, and it's exactly 25. And as the way you laid it out is every year they've kind of been doing this, the statistics of who's taken the most transfers has been first-year head coaches trying to flip a roster and do the best they can and Lane Kiffin. And so it's very clear that he's doing something repetitively as a concerted practice is now an established sec head coach building a program three, four years in that no one else is doing. And that's what makes this experiment so fascinating. And that's probably why we spend so much time talking about roster management and big picture thoughts in terms of just accumulating talent and how you make it all work is because we're watching an experiment in real time, right? This is a new thing. Lane Kiffin leaned into it. Billy bean money ball style, and we're now in the midst of whether this is going to work or not. And I don't have the answer as to whether it's going to work or not. I think anybody who's making some strong declaration one way or another is probably full of it. I have thoughts and hunches about a, like certain aspects of it and where I generally think it might go. But it's too early to tell definitively whether this is a good idea, whether this is a bad idea, whether this is actually a concerted effort or it's, over, it's compensating for being disorganized when it comes to high school recruiting. I don't know the answers to any of this. But it's just wild to look at the numbers because you mentioned 25 transfers. Would they sign? I'm too lazy to look it up. Let's just say 13. At is. least,
0: at least 25. So I guess if Ole Miss is officially 25, some people have more.
1: High school kids that what was their class? Like 15, 16-ish?
0: Something like that. Yeah, I think they already have more than that committed this year.
1: You got 85 scholarship players. Let's just say it's 16 for the lack of me changing internet tabs. That's 41 of your 85 scholarship players that are different from last year. That is a remarkable amount of turnover not impossible to overcome but as we talk about any answers about chemistry that should not that should not go by the wayside as some story that's seen as insignificant because I would argue it's in the top tier of significance just sheerly of you got a locker room with half the dudes that have been there for at least one year we don't really know how long and almost half the dudes that have not which is fascinating to me
0: yeah There's I mean no preseason good. by the way nope, no no oh, 2 no, I mean, look, I have my opinion on this, and I'll, I'll give you, I do not think this is the correct way to build a roster in college football. I, I do not. Now, who the fuck am I? Who cares what <laughs> I think, right? You know, I I totally get it when people are listening to this. I, I don't agree, but I do think this is the year we will figure out. It is it sustainable or not? Is it sustainable or not? Because this, this is like the culmination, you know? It's hard to give anybody any sort of, you know, criticism on how they handled 2020 and 2021. And that's been said by multiple people throughout the media and throughout anything you read, because just in-person evaluations of players was basically no. So it's like, I seen these guys play college football, I'll go get them. So that's fine. Uh, but it's continued. It's continued past that into this where we, like he said, they have three players on the roster currently that are upperclassmen that signed with oldness out of high school. That is a mind-blowing number. It is almost impossible to make that be the case. Um, but I even think if you just see the way that they're doing recruiting right now, with the amount of kids they've taken and like the kind of kids they've taken, I, I think even they have come to a realization. I don't know this. I still have like some people I know in the building, I don't talk to them anymore, you know, especially not about this kind of stuff, that they that have seen that they can't do this every year they can't have these depth issues every year they can't have the turnover every year they have to course correct to a level that basically every other really successful college football coach has said is this is the way we do it right i mean brian kelly has come out and said yeah we are going to use the transfer portal to patch need but we're going to build our roster through high school nick saban has said literally verbatim the exact same thing at sec media days Kirby Smart has said, like, we don't even take portal guys. You know, they took a few this year, uh, but they're basically doing the exact same thing. Ohio State and Michigan, the exact same thing where we are going to build this through high school and we are going to patchwork the rest of the roster with the portal. Maybe Kiffin just thinks there's a lot of patches that needs to be worked on this team, which makes a ton of sense. I I get that. But that's also going to be the case Pretty much every year, if you continue to you know have some of the mercenaries come in, and I don't use that term in a derogatory way, just that's kind of what you are when you've got a year or maybe two left uh, to play college football. Um, I think there are some strengths on this team, and there's definitely some weaknesses. I, I'm this is going to be an incredibly interesting year, like I said earlier. I think it all kind of comes to a to a, not a halt, but kind of to a conclusion on if this is something you're going to be able to do year in and year out. We'll get
1: back to Wadden Rodenberg in just a second, but I want to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modding mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We got the Hall of Fame game up on a Thursday night. Football season is just around the corner. Go ahead and sign up for Skybox's NFL and college football picks package. They're the only way to profit in the long run. They're the professionals. You sign up. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go all sports. You can go sports specific, whether it's NFL or college, whatever the case may be. I would just be an all year, all around access pass member. You'll save yourself money and boom, they'll send you picks on a color coded spreadsheet based off of unit. And you were more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for skybox you're never going to make money this college football season just accept it now by going off your own liens and without having a system these guys that are professionals it is all based off of math do yourself a favor and actually profit this college football season by signing up with skybox use that promo code rippy and that'll get you 20 percent off any purchase check out skybox sports picks.com. podcast is also brought to you by lb's university avenue in oxford probably going to talk to greg for a podcast later this week Go in, see him, your RippyWrites subscriber. That's Com. You're about to get another newsletter from me, but you also get discounted meats. Right now it's a six, three, six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there. For 20 bucks. Just go show grab proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go all find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world, a crown jewel of Oxford, all kinds of delicious sausages, seafood, incredible cuts of meat. It's the best place in the world if you want to throw something on the grill. Check them out. LB's University Avenue, there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. I agree particularly with that last part of it because the reason this this is this year is probably when it comes to a head is. I would say if Lane Kiffin were sitting here and playing defense to the idea that this is not a way to build a roster, is he would argue that one, Ole Miss is not Alabama, Georgia, or LSU and never has been. So why would we try to do things the same way? Now, I don't think that carries a ton, I I don't think that specific counterpoint carries a ton of weight because absent a kind of personal that de- half decade long NCA investigation Hugh Freeze for all of his flaws dynamic recruiter was coming into Ole Miss and recruiting that level you saw South Carolina get A5 star the other day i'm not telling you they're about to start turning into the Alabama LSU and Georgia but a commitment to the high school recruiting even if it was a pre-portal era like they can like get kids that way through high school and the other piece of it would be is his idea that now in this portal era you have a freshman that comes in and doesn't play immediately. You have less control over him than you do a freshman that transferred into you after a year and transferred because he can't use another transfer and just use it as free agency again. And that's why I think it's coming to a head this year because you have the 21 portal class. Granted that doesn't count as much because most of those guys were grad transfers. The, the, who was the Navy kid and then, uh, oh, yeah,
0: Campbell, and Campbell, a couple and others, Robinson. but like
1: now the 2022 class, like the, The Pegueses, the Jared Ivies of the world who really can't go anywhere else. Now they now that's kind of your returnees. Like that's why this year comes to a head, because you now have two classes of sample size of guys that are, quote, unquote, more controllable that you got out of the portal that aren't senior grad transfers. Can that actually work to build depth?
0: Yeah, I I honestly kind of disagree with that. To be honest, I mean, just because like the idea that that can control, work, just because you don't have control of the player after one year, does that mean you just don't attempt to recruit highly rated and like right. really good prospects? Like, I mean, Quinchon Judkins was a three star, but like, I mean, you had him on your roster. I bet you if you wanted him and he was at South Carolina, you're probably not getting him, right? So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, plus, I mean, I understand like the concept of like, yeah, you have more control over a kid who like went to his freshman year somewhere and then left to go somewhere else. But there's always a reason why they're leaving. And sure as hell, Ole Miss has figured that out. I mean, Chris Marshall is already off the team. I mean, they just recruited a kid who, you know, put some stuff on OnlyFans. It's not really cool. Uh, And then another guy at Miami who was a freshman and basically, you know, he wasn't kicked off the team, but was kind of asked to leave. Like, there's a reason these kids are in the portal. So, like, yeah, you might have more control over them after they get to you, but it's not like, you know, kids are going there as freshmen, like an LSU example because I know their roster most. I mean, like a Mason Smith who was a stud as a freshman. Like, he's not like, you know what? I think I'm going to go test the market. Like, you're there. You have don't have control over them, but you have the upper hand over them. It's like when you're drafting players, Uh, in the NFL and NBA, it's like, yeah, like they could leave after their contracts up. Yeah, I understand. It's one year and it's frustrating. But that's like, it's how you build. And like, if you bring them in and you have success and you build a culture, like not every kid, I promise you this, not every kid is doing what Lane Kiffin is saying. And by the way, not just Lane, everybody, where they're just like going on the free market after a semester like that's not how every single kid is wired yes you're going to have absolutely have exceptions to that rule especially with kids who like are highly rated and either they're unhappy or whatever sure you're going to have kids but if your nil package at, at old miss is doing what you need to do to take care of the kids on your roster which they've done a pretty damn good job of then why not go and try to recruit the best of the best um, i'm not saying they're not trying to of course they are it but, seems like it they're having mean, more early
1: success with this high school class than they have had in years past. Yes. And this I upcoming think class, that is.
0: And, and Siski said this online, like they're actually following real evaluations. Not that they haven't been, but they're able to because yeah. you know, no more COVID nonsense. You've had like real tape and real in-person evaluations for these kids for like two years. You know them, you've seen them, and now you're like, I trust them. I don't care who they are but you still have to get closer to that blue chip ratio in order to compete in this conference, especially with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. I mean, you have to get, you know, really talented players. And I mean, they're doing a much better job, but they still have a long way to go. And I think you're seeing a small course correction on the way they've built this roster.
1: I think so too. And that ultimately what you just laid out is probably the Trump card to that theory is like, look, in this day and age of college football, outside of probably most of the time quarterback and offensive line, if you're a dynamic recruit out of high school, I won't call it plug and play, but I'll call it plug and contribute and plug and get in the mix. Like you can get on the field pretty damn early unless you're, Hell yeah, to you can. you're about to
0: see 2 You're about to see two do it at Ole Miss this year. I mean, it's exactly. absolutely you can get on the field quickly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so if they're leaving their previous school, it's probably for a reason. And honestly, I know they keep talking about like, character and mentality of kids but like if a kid gets to one school one year doesn't play immediately is like screw this i'm going somewhere else like that also kind of says something about the kid not that Uh they don't have the right to do that not that they maybe don't think it's a good fit and go somewhere else but like if that's really what's rooting their decision that also kind of tells you about the the person you're recruiting and personalities matter you know not as much as talent but you know supplement that's a nice supplement to have
0: well, I mean, I asked this question to you last week. I'm going to put you on spot now and you can, you know, answer however you'd like. But there's two questions. Is the 23 roster as of today more talented than the 21 roster? Fourth year in the program.
1: No, but that's also with the benefit of knowing how Springer and Campbell and a couple of those other guys turned out. But either way, the answer is probably no.
0: Is the twenty three roster more talented than the twenty two roster?
1: Oh, that's a tough one because they're like super talented at quarterback, but only one guy's going to play. If you're talking about the uh, the starting twenty two, I'd probably lean no.
0: I mean, that kind of is, like, my hypothesis and why I talk about it like I do. That That's just why I, I agree with you in both parts. Now, that doesn't mean some brooms aren't Im- improved, but I just – as an overall roster, I don't think this team is as talented as the t- two teams the last two years.
1: Well, it's crazy. Like, I, I agree, and I think that's a very interesting way to frame it. But, like, if we sit here in November – And Josh Harris or Xavier Wynn is awesome. Or
0: 1,000% agree. You know what
1: I mean? Like you'd be sitting there being like, damn, I can't believe I said that in August. But that's kind of the – that's I guess that epitomizes this conversation. That's the gamble.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I completely understand. Yeah, like there is a a lack of of 2020 hindsight we'll have in December on how this all goes. But this is talking about a program throughout years doing this experiment, like we call it. And, you know, we get to have our opinions on what we think is going to happen with this year's team with seeing how it's gone two years uh, prior to it. You know, it's just recruiting and evaluating it. It's just, there's a lot to it. I completely agree with that. And I think we could all, you know, we could both be completely wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong, by the way. (laughs) I would love to be wrong. I just don't know uh, if I am, and especially with the, the schedule and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot to it. There's things to like. There's things to be concerned about, as with every team. But I think just the roster management. I mean, there's some big questions, and uh, just the overall looking at the program compared to just like kind of the minute uh, aspects of it. The quarterback piece of it, like the quarterback
1: room, is hilarious to me because Kevin had an answer talking about like how deep and talented they are there, and that they have quote kids of all ages. How old your youngest brother?
0: He is 22. Oh, wait. I'm so wrong. He's like 24. Okay. No, no. <laughs> actually, he's like 22. He's 22 years old. Elliot's 22 years old. I'm 27.
1: I had to do this with my brother the other day. because I'm terrible. Day was, day. And I was like, how old are you actually? And he just had turned – my brother turned 23 because he got – I literally had to do the same math. They have a dude in Spencer Sanders who I believe is 23 and then Austin Simmons who is 17. Like, can you imagine being in the same college <laughs> – as your youngest brother and then add a year of a gap and that's just a hilarious dynamic to me it's totally meaningless but having four quarterbacks in the room one of them being 23 years old i think i don't want to spew something that i'm not totally certain on i think spencer sanders is married and then having austin simmons be 17 years old yeah. it's just a hilarious <laughs> he can't buy tobacco
0: in mississippi and the other kids married and graduated
1: <laughs> yeah he, that's a great way to put it like if he wants to get you know Throw in a fat lipper unless he wants to risk it with a fake ID. He's probably got to call on Spencer Sanders, his uncle, to be like, hey, can you go get me some snuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something else. I mean, how that whole thing worked with Simmons, uh, like whether it was behind the scenes or just the whole thought process, I mean, the kid's incredibly talented. I think we're going to see that. Uh, But it is crazy that he is on uh, a a collegiate football field in the fall when he's 17 years old. Should be a sophomore or junior in high school.
1: As talented as he is, a little birdie that mentioned to me nothing's anywhere close to official that this was beneficial from a football standpoint to get another kid, get him in the room, get him here early, not deal with the recruiting aspect. But he also apparently throws ninety something miles an hour with his left hand, and this also protects him from the MLB draft.
0: Yeah, no, it's. Cra- I heard he's like a legit baseball player. Like he will like maybe not be in like in a rotation or even like get innings this year, but like he's a dude, like an absolutely a player, and he's so young. I mean, it's crazy.
1: It's, it's, if he somehow gets, I don't know what, again, I never rule anything out when it comes to the seasons, but if somehow he's taming meaningful saps for Ole Miss this year, I'm just like, whatever, I'm in, this could be horrible. This could be awesome. But, you know, this kid can't vote, but by God, he's playing at Alabama. (laughs) Um, As it actually pertains to the dudes in the running for the quarterback job, I asked you this this at the beginning of spring, post-spring, summer do you view the quarterback gig any differently? We already have people after one press conference and one non-padded practice saw a couple of tweets that came off the, uh I say tweets, X's. I don't know what they would call it. Oh, uh, the post, timeline exactly. being like Jackson darts in every promotional video and every highlight. It's like that's a good way to base how things are going. Do you have any different opinion on the quarterback competition? I now view it as I did probably post spring as this is Jackson Dart's gig to lose. I don't understand the Sanders piece of it, and I wonder if we get three weeks in and Jackson Dart doesn't perform well, are they calling for the kid who's now no longer the kid, Walker Howard?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I gave my odd take last time we were on here saying that Walker Howard's going to be starting a football game for Ole Miss this year. I don't know when it's going to be or where it's going to be, but that's my take. I will predict that will be the case. I'm kind of with you, though. Uh, I do think Jackson Dart is like in a pretty solid lead for QB1. Um, I put no stock into promotional videos and photos and anything coming from like Ole Miss media, because I don't know if you remember this, but there was a funny story that came out of media days uh, that the year Johnny Manziel won the starting quarterback job, Texas A&M brought a different quarterback to media days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Johnny exactly. Manziel won the job in fall and fall camp as a freshman. So it means nothing like th- there will be a real battle here in the fall between definitely two and maybe even three quarterbacks. Uh, I think Jackson's in the lead. I think a healthy Spencer Sanders, you know, he came here for a reason. I would assume it'd be to attempt to start. I mean, he's going to put up a fight and then Walker. Uh, I mean, he's going to get reps. It just depend on if he can show enough to be like, okay, this is like our second, this is our guy in case Jackson goes down.
1: I worked for the athletic department for a year as in-house reporter. I can tell you firsthand they're not sending subliminal messages through what they put out on social media. They actually actively try to avoid that because their whole thing is – Let's not make ripples, let's not make waves. I am not one to peruse every single photo the football account or athletics account puts out. But if today was quote Jackson Dart Day in terms of what they're putting out, I guarantee you they'll put out five six photos of Sanders and five six photos of Howard and whomever else like that is not that like no one they're sure not playing whoever.
0: games in there. no, no they're
1: not Their the whole job is to not play games. their whole job yeah. is to promote everyone equally like this is this is not how they operate. So I can tell you firsthand having sat in some meetings with that that is not how that works. But, like, it's just a fascinating dynamic because Kiffin cracks me up with this is I think everyone probably understands that is is what we just outlined is Jackson Dart's job to lose. But what does that mean if they struggle three or four games into the season? But, like, Kiffin won't comment on it all. Like, I mean, I joke about this. Remember how much he pumped up K Dent through the spring last year? To Dent's credit, did seemingly like he had a pretty good spring game. But it could be. Chad Kelly and me and Kiffin's like, which one do you think you're going with? He'd be
0: like, ah, we'll just see who performs the best. It's like, come on, dude, let's the people. Like, he's yeah, just not going to give me anything. You're getting nothing from him on this battle. I mean, nothing of substance through the media on him. You will figure out who the quarterback is when they announce it or whenever, you know, they play the first game, one or the other.
1: Do you buy into the idea that, Having so much competition behind Dart will bring out the best in him because I do to some degree having to gotten to know him and kind of his backstory a little bit. And it's kind of the Mac Jones things. Remember, we talked about is it going to be Mac Jones or is like Bryce Young going to unseat the guy? And throughout that entire granite, weird 2020 COVID year, Mac Jones was just kind of a baller and never gave anyone a reason to think about it. I don't think that was a motivating tactic for a fifth-year senior in Mac Jones. But I do think there is some value in that. Do you buy into that theory at all that it could bring out the best in Dart? Because they seemingly tried to lay the nuggets of that in spring with the way they talked about him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I buy it to an extent, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, Dart has to like do his job no matter what to win the to win the quarterback job. But yeah, I mean, there's real competition in that room with all three and at least a part a partial fourth, uh, in there with Simmons, who's probably just, you know, floating out there. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I think, like Kevin has said, it's his job to get, you know, build the room and create the best, you know, group out there. And he's definitely done that. I mean, there's a ton of talent here. But like you said, there's only one that can play. And, you know, if Dart doesn't do what he needs to do, like he's not going to play. Like he will not play him if he doesn't believe he's going to give you the best chance to win. Um, So, I mean, it's going to be a real I think it's going to be a real competition. I thought you know, kind of after spring, we kind of both agreed like, okay, darts the quarterback. We don't know what the Sanders thing is. Like, this is like just a weird sideshow that nobody can explain. I I do think now that he's healthy and there's like going to be a real, like a real, real competition, not kind of like a Chad Kelly, Ryan Buchanan, you know, Devontae Kincaid deal where they're kind of faking it, but they know who's going to be the player.
1: Yeah. And a little bit on darts injury. So he had a, a minor knee procedure, um, I think in late June, early July, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was when they had a break in summer workouts. Uh, I won't go into Chase and Neil's, uh, practice book, uh, practice notebook that you should subscribe on the message board to read in great detail, but it does sound like dart is fully healthy. I had it on good authority, uh, in the moment when he had the procedure that it was not a big deal. It was just a nice gap in the schedule to do something minor. He looks as healthy as ever, which is a good thing. It makes you wonder if that lingered at all from last year. But I, again, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic because it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if you caught a quarterback competition to see who's going to run out of the tunnel with the first team offense, the first game of the year, it almost feels like that is somewhat decided, but like how long does he keep the gig? It's like, how long do the people behind him, like, can they catch him before the season gets you know too far in? Like you wouldn't change quarterbacks seven games in if you're four and six, just for the hell of it. You know what I mean? Like it's four and six, seven games in would make no sense. I guess you get my point. Like these three games before the schedule gets real tough, can one of those guys catch him with uh, him struggling? And I don't know if he'll struggle or not, but that's the more fascinating dynamic to me. I think it will go into the season, even if it's not a traditional competition.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think, I mean, shoot, you better have it figured out by Tulane because I mean, I, I think Ole Miss will win that game. but That surely won't be a walk in the park if you have no idea who your quarterback is. I don't think you're, going out there, uh, you know, splitting it three ways, trying to, you know, get your mind right on that situation. But um, I mean, I'm very, very interested because, you know, in my personal opinion and what like, we know means absolutely nothing. uh, If this thing is like really, really close for whatever reason, like I would go with Howard. That will not happen because, I mean, it's been pretty laid out that, like, it's going to be Darter Sanders. They want the experience, the older guys, and Howard's the the quarterback of the future. But, I mean, if it's so close, like, don't you want to know what you have there? Because, I mean, I know we think that Dart has, like, really, really improved, um, and I really hope that's the case. I think he has a ton of talent. But, man, I was watching that spring game again a few days ago, and you can't take a whole lot from it but it was, it was pretty rough. I mean, it really, really was. And, you know, I, I will take everyone's, you know, applause of dart throughout spring and the beginning of fall and everything he's done, you know, since the season, like I will take it at face value. Cause there's just, there's no reason to just like build up a kid just to break him down. Like that's not the way you, you do that. But I, I mean, I think this is a real competition. I think Sanders has a shot. I mean, they didn't bring Hen Howard just to, like, you know, be there for, like, to build up Jackson Dart. I mean, he they brought him in to compete. Now, it was probably for the two spot, but I, I would be really interested to see throughout this fall camp. It's a whole month on if he actually has a real chance. And I know we're probably talking about complete nonsense and it's stupid because Dart's the quarterback. But that for some reason, I had, like, this inkling that that he might be in this, actually,
1: well, I think at some point, I think to start the game, the year against whoever the hell it is at 1 p.m. Mercer, Mercer is probably out of the question, but like, that's exactly kind of what I'm talking about. And there's like a little bit of the NFL self self-preservation nature of it. If Ole Miss struggles early on in the year, let's just say they get the doors blown off them against Alabama and then it doesn't go well offensively, whomever they have the next week without looking it up off the top of my head. Like, like from a coaching staff, it's like, all right, like the heat is on a bit. Let's throw in the kid. Uh, Walker Howard. And if he's awesome, then you can now just be like, look what's happening in 2024. Like we're winning some games down the stretch. We're out of it in September. There's a little bit of an NFL element to it. But the other piece of it too, is what's crazy to me is like, we talk about dart as if he can, as if he is, or should be a finished product. The guy started less than two seasons worth of college football. He's like 15, 16 career starts in like, and I know you weren't discounting his ability to improve, but I feel like in this kind of microwave transfer portal society in terms of news storylines. We talk about him like this he's this old head that has a bunch of experience under his belt. He's less than two seasons, less than one and a half seasons in terms of college football starts in like he's still improving.
0: Yeah, we've seen a lot of Jackson Dart. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I know you're saying like we kind of, you know, don't know everything about him, but. I mean, he's, he's played in a season and a half of, of college football. Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying you yeah, exactly- No, no,
1: it is. But it's just crazy to me that we talk about him like he's 2014 Bo Wallace. After Bo Wallace started 2012, 2013, is it going to be good Bo, bad Bo? But, like, we have one real season of sample size of Jackson Dart at 19 years old. And an 18 year old Jackson darted an absolute dumpster fire of a year for USC, still in COVID restrictions to some degree, is my point. Like, we, no. like, it's like a weird sample size, but it's actually not as large as we think, was my point.
0: Yeah, I, I get that. I'll get that. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he absolutely can improve. I think there needs to be a lot more improvement than just with him. I think the offensive line, the receivers are kind of a, a pretty big question mark. I'm sure we'll get to it um running back you're going to have a pretty awesome safety valve there and then a uh, pretty improved tight end room with with pre-scoring and Trig you know we know what he can be and actually shown it yet but pretty confident that he can be a really good player if he puts it all together um so i mean i'm excited to see it i think that's good he's going to be the guy i just think it's worth a conversation about you know what the other possibilities could be um especially like if things don't go great uh, but yeah, I mean, like, like he he's played uh, one full season, basically, which is, yeah, it's not a lot, but it, it's also not nothing either. I mean, you can learn a lot um, from how he was last year. And look, I'm not dogging the kid by any means. He was far from the reason they struggled uh, in certain times last year. He flashed a lot. You know, he made some mistakes. What happens when you're young? I think that leash is going to be pretty short this year, though.
1: Another piece of the the kind of dissecting what Ole Miss has to work with and doesn't have that's interesting to me is, again, I don't want to go too specific into the uh, paid subscriber notebook, but Neil had a note today and the general sense of it was, is that Ole Miss has more big bodies that he noticed up front on the defensive line than he's noticed in past years. And full disclosure, as we recorded this on a Wednesday night, I started writing like a piece of a newsletter that I'll probably put out by the time this podcast airs about concerns or where I think Ole Miss is good or bad, and I talked about defensive line depth, I think it's probably really at the end spots because the way this transfer portal thing works is it's like, damn, I knew they got this transfer when it happened, but I haven't like put him into my collective thoughts of like, oh, they actually have this guy. Like the Stefan Wynn kid from Georgia Tech, another big body guy. Who knows whether he's going to be very good or not. Nebraska, but but yeah. Yeah, sorry, Nebraska, Xavier Harris, (laughs) NC State the stone kid from Georgia tech, like Neil's naming all these guys as big bodies on the defensive line. I'm like, damn, they actually did bring in some somewhat experienced, bigger bodies. Like I kind of need to alter what I wrote the night before when I was just thinking about it. Whereas they probably do lack some depth on the edge, but like if those guys somewhat pan out, they do have some, some, some girth for the lack of a better phrase on the interior defensive line. You just forget about it because it's not the whole like high school signing day thing. And I'm fascinated by that piece of it. Like If I'm looking at it now, wouldn't you say there are more depth issues at linebacker than anywhere on the defensive line?
0: I would say linebacker and DB, they might have a lot of them um, at both positions, but I don't think that they're overly confident, and we've kind of seen that with the way they've gone after kids in the 24 class and just in the portal in general, um, that they're going to be at like the level they would like for them to be. Um, I think there's a lot. I mean, there's uh, Kevin said it. He said, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done on defense. Um, and yeah, I think that the defensive line, you know, they're playing a three, four, I, I assume uh, with Golding. So there's gonna be more on the field and like the edge wise, like, yeah, there's definitely some concerns at the four eye defensive end spots and the the outside linebacker spots. But I do think they have a pretty good uh, group of those interior guys like Piggies and Wynn and Xavier Harris and probably some younger kids who I can't even think of off the top of my head. So I would say, like, that's actually a spot. I don't know if they're going to be, like, elite level there, but they're going to have some guys to put in that they're pretty confident with.
1: And then if you contrast that with linebacker, I would assume it's some combination of Monty Montgomery from Louisville, Coleman, and then Sistronk, Gene Baptiste. Perkins, Perkins getting somewhere in the mix. I mean, those are all nice names, but we don't really know what they have in Montgomery or Jean Baptiste. Perkins is obviously an incredible talent, obviously good to have in the room. But like, what do you expect from him as a freshman? It's just like anything else we discussed. This is like, okay, I could see an outcome where this is like actually a very surprisingly good group, but I could also see an outcome where it's like, oh man, they really struggle because they just didn't have the horses. It's, it's Im- almost impossible to prognosticate, which is terrific podcasting.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you've seen it. I mean, this this defense over the last three years has had, like – I mean, they're going to have three basically completely different linebacker groups. I mean, you had the the Robinson and Campbell uh, combination. I mean, is Robinson – am I saying that right? It was it Robinson with Campbell, the guy that's playing – Yeah, yeah, Steel. Mark Robinson, the kid that was the running yeah.
1: back at SEMO. And uh, what's his oh, yeah. name no. to come to Ole Miss? I forget the other kid's name. I tried to write about that, but – Things got weird.
0: Uh, but yeah, that's yeah, exactly- I remember him. I was still on staff when he came on. He was a running back uh and he was doing special teams he's still like in the mix with the Steelers. The dudes like pretty good. Have you seen the picture of him that looks like James Harrison? No. Oh, he's go, go look it up when you get a chance. I mean, good he for looks- him.
1: seems like a good kid.
0: No, great kid. Um, but like that's what I'm saying. Like, so you have Robinson and Campbell, and then last year you have those two are gone. So then now you've got like Keys and Brown, and a little bit of Sistrunk here and there. And then this year, Sistrunk is the only, like, you know, constant. And you have two other portal guys, and then Perkins coming in. It's like, it's just a rotating wheel of that position uh, with, like, absolutely no continuity. And look, Troy Brown did his best last year, but he was not the player that Campbell and Robinson were. Are Montgomery and Gene Baptiste and Perkins, are are they going to be the good version of it or the bad version of it? I mean, it's kind of the the circle we're talking about with this whole roster management portal deal. I mean, they're all, like, completely different kinds of players, too. I mean, Montgomery is, like, kind of like your sideline to sideline, a little bit undersized, like, really physical linebacker. Gene Baptiste is a guy who's, like, really physically impressive but probably doesn't have the the speed you want at the SEC level. Perkins is just an all around monster, but he's a freshman. I mean, he, he has everything you want in a linebacker, but he, it's, I mean, it's going to take him some time um, and hopefully if he figures it out this fall and then Sistron, you know, that's like, like I said, the one constant, you, you know what you're getting there. he He's competent. He's not a high level player, but he absolutely is smart. And he's been on the team and has played a lot of snaps for a reason. Um, Cause he lost Austin keys who though was injured was like same kind of deal. Like, fully competent if not a little bit above that so it's a rotating wheel at that position
1: I'm going on a little bit of a limb here but when you mentioned Sistrunk it made me think of a little bit of a theory one of the lessons I learned as a young reporter I think honestly part of it may have been talking to you whether it was pre-podcast or once we started doing it was I remember in 2018 or 19 they Momo Sinogo played a ton And he was super productive because they didn't have any other options. And I remember writing when he was a younger player, like, hey, they got a budding star in this guy. And when it actually turned out, when you got more talent on the roster, it was actually like, okay, he's kind of capped out his ceiling. I know he had that injury against Arkansas that kind of changed maybe what some people thought he was as a player, but I guess my point being, is, you said it a couple of times, a productive player is not necessarily a good player. And so like, I wonder if Sys is kind of the benchmark or gauge of like, Hey, if he's kind of a guy that's in the mix and a rotation guy, cool. But if he's like one of your core tenants at the linebacker position, I'm
0: just not sure how good you are there. Well, yeah, and no, you're exactly right. And especially when you have a guy like Momo who was like as nice and as charismatic as you and, can a be. and a leader and a leader and a leader to an extent, uh, that, like, you know, people rally around that, especially fans, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's, like, a good football player. Right. Um, and so building upon that and trying to get guys in, I think there's even, like, you know, Tyler Davis is another young freshman who has some size and some ability. uh It's going to be – that's a very interesting position because there's a lot of unknowns, not necessarily all in the negative either. um They've got bodies there, but it's going to depend on how reliable they are.
1: The uh, secondary is a very fascinating place to me, too, because I would say like the front half of it, I say front half, not in the actual direction, but like how you would rank the guys from strengths to weaknesses or liabilities from top to bottom. Like the top half is very good. You feel very good about DeAndre Prince. You feel very good about Ladarius Tennyson, probably pretty good about a year more experience. Ashim Young, that's covering two safeties. One of the corner slots, but then you get into like the nickel in the other corner and it's like, is this going to be Deshaun Gaddy? Is this Mary Walton? Is this that Saunders kid they picked up? There's two gaping holes in that secondary. We're like, I don't know how this is going to go. It could be good. It could be not good. But like that to me is where the scale tips with the secondary is like you got three, four pretty established guys, but those other two positions that they're complete liabilities, you might have a pretty rough time in the secondary as a whole. But if they find two guys that are very serviceable and very good, then you could actually have a pretty good secondary. It's like the same theme that we've talked about with every other position group, but it's still equally fascinating.
0: Yeah, I I'm pretty scared about the secondary. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to admit that uh, Deontre Prince is a hell of a football player. I, I'm good there. You know, I know a lot about him. Tennyson is kind of like a rotational safety nickel. Don't really want him covering people, but he's been incredibly effective near the box, which is important depending on what you're playing. The other guys, I mean, I just simply don't know who are going, who's going to play those positions. I have no clue. I mean, you've got, Sa- like you said, Saunders. Walton, Trey Washington.
1: Every single uh, option aside from Washington and maybe Taylor Groves, if you want to put him in the mix, every single option there with the five guys in the mix is new.
0: The Liberty transfer. um, There's some younger freshmen they brought. Like, I just, you just don't know. And like, honestly, when you don't know, you kind of begin to assume the worst, which I think is okay with us. And not the worst, but you assume that that's going to be, an issue on this team and I think they assume it as well because they've got like 19 DBs committed. Um, hey, you know what you need. And like, like I said, when you go through that roster at the beginning of the year and you look at each position where they're at and their you know eligibility and what you need to do there. And if you realize you need more players there, you're going to take more than you, than you probably would in a regular year. That's totally fine. Um, but I, I think they're kind of showing their hand almost on what they think about this team a little bit.
1: I think so, too. And I think you can pick up hints on that through kind of the way they talk about it, as you mentioned. But the other piece of it, too, and like the whole gamble and all of it is like, again, not the same player, but like production wise, if one of them turns into a Jake Springer type guy, then like, ah, you're in business. But like I would love to go through the first year of podcast we did in August and see how many times we mentioned Jake Springer. I'd go over under like two and a half. And he became like the linchpin of the defense. and that's the whole wild card and all this that makes all of it fascinating. But yeah, I would say the biggest question mark on the defense. You can flip a coin between linebacker and secondary, but I'd probably go secondary because I feel like I have more guys that have more experience in spots that need to be covered in the linebacker than I do secondary.
0: Definitely. I mean, even like you just have like experienced players at linebacker with the exception of like probably your best player at linebacker. Like that's a that's a pretty good combination. Some of the DBs. I mean, some of these guys like I mean, I know Saunders was like, I don't think he even played a lot at Miami, Ohio last year. I think it was like an injury issue. Walton played a lot at Georgia Tech. That team was really bad. Does that necessarily mean he's bad? No. Um, Anthony at Liberty. He's he's a guy that I know nothing about. And then the returning guys like Demarco and Trey Washington and uh, the kid that you mentioned from Arkansas. Oh uh, no, sorry, Taylor Groves from Tennessee. But they have another kid from Arkansas who I think they were like pretty high on at some point. Like you just don't know what you're getting there. Uh, so it's tough to really give a perspective and kind of an opinion on that position group. Duh, like bad podcasting, but. Uh, it's it's a question mark. It's a real one. Couple last thoughts on the offensive side of the
1: ball. Weirdly enough, where they have a bunch of front line stability is with the offensive line. You get the freshman tackles back who are now sophomores. Obviously, that's how that works from a math perspective. You get a pretty experienced player in Jeremy James. Caleb Warren coming off an off offseason injury. Believe he was limited in practice in the first practice. I don't think that's any sort of concern at this point in terms of him having any sort of limitations for the season. And then Neil Acker, a guy that was in the, at least in the mix last year, it's what's behind them that's interesting to me. It's going to be the whole developing depth thing, right? It's Reese McIntyre, a guy who's been in the program a long time, Preston Cushman. Where does a couple of the transfers they got in Quincy McGee, where do they start working in Victor Kern? Like, I actually feel pretty good about their line, uh, their offensive line. Um, where they stand currently even if there's not a single guy where i'm like this dude is a home wrecker and he's going to be an absolute anchor i actually feel somewhat decent about where they stand offensive
0: line wise i completely agree i mean i think they've got two bookend tackles from high school who are have a chance to be really good football players i think they showed a lot of that last year they're they're basically true freshmen i mean they were redshirt freshmen i mean offensive line sec i mean that's incredibly difficult to do and they did it Uh, to a pretty adequate level. And I think you're going to see even more improvement, more understanding with them this year. Same system. I really am confident in there. And then I think they brought in guys like Kern and McGee to go along with Acker and Warren and James. Like these are just guys that have played a lot of football. And I, I like what they've done there with that group. I think that group has a chance to be a strength. I know people like saw the Texas Tech game last year. We're like, oh my God, like what was that? Well, you could just say that about the entire team against Texas Tech. I mean, that that just you throw that one out of the window. I think that group is pretty solid. I think they have some young kids they like too that have that weren't transfers and have a chance to play a little bit uh if need be. But their their front like their first six, seven guys, I think I'm pretty confident in I think they are too. I think it's a really good group.
1: The way they built that on the offensive line is exactly what you're talking about. What, like, the when you had your general thought about what Alabama and Georgia and LSU do, it's building around the edges. It's not like this kid has to come here and play center, Orlando Umana style. This kid has to come in here and play left tackle, Mason Brooks style. That didn't really work out. Like, it's like they're in the mix. We got some guys that are a year older partially a byproduct of guys like mason brooks not working out but they brought in some depth and they brought in some guys that may end up beating starters but if they're not end up being starters it's not the end of the world And you're like my god who's going to run out there the first game of the season like that's kind of the ideal model of what you've talked about i think the offensive line and the way they've structured that for this season is a little more in line with what you were talking about earlier when you talked about like
0: larger scale roster building well it's a it's a developmental position uh, at like every it's the last non-plug-and-play
1: position we have.
0: Yeah, no, it is It is incredibly difficult to evaluate and develop offensive linemen. It's just, you just never know what you're going to get, how a kid's body reacts, how they grow, how they don't grow, how they don't lose weight. Um, it, it's all around. But, I mean, odds are that going into the season, they're going to start with an offensive line with a ton of starts, a ton of play, and they're all going to be, like, from high school, from their high school recruiting, uh, whether it was previous staff or this staff. Uh, and I think that's really impressive. And then you bring in guys who have played a lot of football that can play multiple positions in the offensive line. I, I think it's a great setup the way they have it there. And uh, I mean, I think the, I think the tackles have a chance to be like really special football players uh, if they kind of get their mind right. I know there's been some bad talk. Uh, I don't know anything about that, but uh i mean they're really good players and i think if they stick together and stay healthy which of course is the question you always have to have uh they got a chance to be really good i mean it's it's really really difficult to get a high level plug and play starter offensive tackle or guard or anything out of the portal i mean they just don't come around very often so that that's definitely a position i think they've done well with um despite what i think some people might think
1: Running back's fascinating to me. If there's one thing I have my eye on, if you gave me like a betting over under on like the workload or carry load for Quinchon Judkins, not as much depth at the position there this year. And I know Quinchon Judkins kind of blossomed into a star last year, but I think having Zach Evans who – most people thought entering the season was like Ole Miss's biggest get of last off seasons. like, is this guy going to contend for the Heisman Trophy? And then it turned out to be a three-star kid from Alabama that just stole the show. That but guy that Edwards, was still awesome. No, he was exactly right. Yeah. Like him being the – even though we didn't think about it this way, the yin to the yang or whatever the phrase goes to Judkins was very valuable. I mean, hell – Evans wasn't healthy for that A&M game. They probably don't win that game without the 25 snaps that he gives him. He was immensely valuable. They don't really have that second head of the monster this year. There was a note from practice today about like Riscano getting a lot of individual coaching. They seem very high on him. If I had to just wager on Lane Kiffin succeeding and the staff succeeding at one thing, it's probably finding a running back out of high school that contributes immediately. They got a pretty damn good track record of that. I'm fascinated to see how Riscano works in to the running back mix, because I don't really know how to evaluate Bentley at all. He had the hand injury earlier in the year, and he never seemed to find his footing. Not saying he can't be productive, but now it seems like the Quinchon Judkin show and how much support can you give him behind him? And I'm fascinated to see how that looks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So am I. I mean, Bentley, he's pretty tough to rely on. I mean, he was injured at SMU after having a really good season. He had a really good start to the year last year and then got injured. So, like, I I think I believe he's a really good player, but injuries are a real concern there. Uh, And then Roscano, I mean, love the kid out of high school. I remember like watching him after they had him committed and whatnot. Uh, I mean, he's physically he's ready uh there's a lot more to playing running back than just you know breaking a few tackles um especially in this this, this this oh my god this system uh just had like a total freeze moment there um than <laughs> this system and especially if they try to get you know the ball to the back side of the backfield more which is something they've talked about we'll see if it actually happens i don't know um that there's going to be more to do there i think you're going to see a lot of riscano i think you're going to see A heavy dose of Judkins, of course, but I think they're going to do their best. And I think Lane knows this, having dealt with running backs like Henry and Yeldon over the past that, like,
1: you know,
0: he's not the physical specimens of that. I mean, he's a freak. Absolutely. He's a freak. But, you know, those those guys are like six, three, six like monsters that could take the 400 carries a year. Like that's not in the best interest of this team to have Judkins taking that many carries. Doesn't mean he might not get them. But they're going to have to develop Raskano quickly, which is why Kevin Smith is probably on him pretty early. He's not, he's not, he's not Derrick Henry, 37
1: carries and whatever iron ball that was, which is not a shot at Judkins. It's just Derek. I mean, how there
0: won't be another Derek Henry for the next.
1: 15 no, I'm just like, like
0: a, he's a unicorn. But you mean, you forget, like, I mean, so Kiffin that year with 14. I mean, TJ Yeldon. Is was a monster, and he was, like, 6'2", and, like, huge, and he carried him along with Henry. I mean, Damian Harris. I mean, those running backs, those are just, like, you know, those just Alabama running backs. They were different breed back then, and Judkins is in that same ilk. I just think with this team, like, you can't have him have 40 carries a game. It's just not going to happen, which is why you're asking the question, Bentley, Roscano, is it some of the walk-ons that showed out a little bit in the spring game that, like, kind of give a little bit off for Jenkins.
1: If there is a somewhat low key inkling to whether Ole Miss is going to be a better offense, particularly in the red zone, than it was last year, particularly toward the end of last year, it might be the tight end position. They bring in Caden Prescorn from Memphis who had him on the podcast last week, working on a written thing on him. Very fascinating story. Kid uh, quarterback in high school out of Michigan. Had no D1 offers, maybe had one, I say D1, no uh, like FBS offers, no um Power 5, some F- FCS stuff. Elected to go to a military academy, played quarterback there, broke his foot, and then was like, what do I do now? Had a buddy that basically got him a walk-on spot, and then literally two and a half years later, he's gotten married, had a kid, and is now an NFL prospect. A lot of life lived by our man Caden Priestcorn in the last two years. Freaking Sounds like a dolphin Knox story. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like it's just like all of a sudden, this all of a sudden happened for me, and like, what they the all in at one time, <laughs> like just wild. And so, yeah. very good athlete, high school basketball player, all state kid, six six, like two. I say six six. I'm probably exaggerating that six something two fifty can go up and get the football. A year more experienced, um, trig with. Caden Priestcorn, that could be a little bit of a dark horse to something that powers this offense. I feel better about the tight end position than at any time Lane Kiffin's been here, including the year that they got Kenny Yaboa, that everyone wants to count as a full season, but was really just four games and a bunch of hype.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, we talked about the roster comparisons between 22 and 23. You have to talk about how much better that tight end room is right now compared to what it has been. Um, pre-scoring, I mean, from everybody who has seen him or talked about him, is like, he's going to be a really important part of this offense.
1: Six five, by the way, I didn't exaggerate too much. Continue.
0: That's close enough. Um, and then Trigg, who I think, you know, according to many people is like kind of had a reset on his mindset. Um, I think, you know, people are asking like, you know, who's going to be the starter. Well, I think these guys are playing like almost completely different positions. I mean, your Trigg is going to be a lot more, your outside, your your typical like your why or whatever they call it. Uh, just you're split, split in. You're split in. Yeah, sure. What uh, Jimmy Graham was,
1: but didn't get paid for that one year that he got so mad.
0: Oh uh, yes, but well, he's back though, baby. Uh, he's back,
1: baby, with the Saints. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I think you have those two guys, I and mean, then you have Kyron Heath, who I mean, blocking might be an issue, but he's definitely a guy who I think after another year can play. And then, you know, the ghost of Christmas past uh, Hudson Wolf and like, what is he going to play this year? You know, is he a guy who is going to be at least in the room healthy and like able to play? I don't mean to like joke about that because that's a terrible, unfortunate injury that happened. No, I know exactly what you mean. You're
1: not like, like
0: literally, is he able to play? Where does he stand from a health standpoint? It's a tough deal. Yeah, it is. Um believe we, we talked about like there's guys on this roster who we, we consider ghosts. I don't I will not joke about him. Uh I will joke about Jalen Knox though, because he supposedly he's still there.
1: <laughs> you beat me to it, dude. I was about to say <laughs> how many Jalen Knox jokes can we work in? It is unfortunate. I learned about a week ago. Um, he does not have I don't he's not still on the roster. I don't think he has another year of eligibility, does he?
0: Jalen Knox? Yeah. No, he caught a, he caught a touchdown the spring game. Like
1: oh, I just read the COVID asterisk. He's still around. We're still going to get a year's worth of content out of that. Yeah. Sorry, continue.
0: Um, but tied in, uh, yeah, you got to be a lot more confident. I think it's something they were lacking dramatically <laughs> last year. I mean, absolutely as a part of this offense and the way Kiffin and Weiss, when you saw it at FAU with hunter bryant like it's a position they need to have as a strength i think they've got it this year (laughs) sorry mentioned the bryant
1: kid the mackey award winner he was the i mean when lane kiffin's offense is cooking at its best it seems to be with a pretty good tight end all the way back to the ghost that was oj howard to some degree but you're exactly right and i'm fascinated to see that uh i would call this very unofficial but there was a uh a birdie that gave me a small nugget about two weeks ago that mentioned that you could see precorn and trig on the field at the same time uh, in some packages and a maybe a decent bit if it works out well, which makes sense because you mentioned they basically kind of play two
0: different positions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to give as many 21 as you can. I mean, that absolutely. Or 12. I can't remember the numbers.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you really want to go the full propaganda route with the tight end, you have a borderline Division One basketball player, an all-state high school basketball player who's 6'5", 250, whose specialty is catching passes. Like – there's your tight end position. Does it work out? I don't know, but you're not going to have a bunch of people tweeting me about why Chad Kelly should never suit up again because he dropped a pass. <laughs> <It's> basically, <laughs> probably not what you're going to see this year to sum it up.
0: Oh my god, No, I don't think so. Like
1: so, it. last piece of the thing before we get to a couple other topics and get out of here. The receiver thing is fascinating to me for a number of different reasons. Ole Miss has a couple of guys coming back who were, I would say, marginally productive. They're counting heavily on a true freshman at Aiden Williams. But like, what do you do to supplement a young quarterback that kind of just waited his way through his first year of college football last year? If you're in the pros, you go get him an awesome wide receiver. I don't know if they have that, but they've done some interesting things in the portal. They bring in Zachary Franklin. He has not yet to take the field at practice. You get Trey Harris from Louisiana Tech. You bring back Jordan Watkins, and then you kind of have the returner-ish mix that has not contributed yet in J.J. Henry and Braylon Brown, there's potential here, but I have no clue what to make of it.
0: Uh, You're exactly correct. It's all potential. Uh, I mean, Trey Harris was injured throughout the spring. Zucari Franklin, I I believe, is now eligible, but he might have, like, surgery, and we don't even know if he's going to start by the beginning of the season. You've got Aiden Williams, who was a stud out of high school. According to literally everybody, like, he's going to be playing early which is great because, I mean, he is just a hell of a football player. I have a lot of high hopes for him. Um, and then you've got a lot of guys behind him. Like you said, Henry Watkins doesn't get enough credit for what he's been able to do. He's he's a more than serviceable player. Dayton Wade is back, who is a guy you – and not – I wouldn't say in the Momos No-Go mold of, like, you don't really want him playing. But, but like, he's pretty damn good for what they needed him absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And then you've got, like, the Braylon Browns, the Larry Simmons, the Jeremiah Dillons, some of these – what do you do with
1: that? Hey, throw our guy in there, Jalen Knox.
0: Jalen – Jesus. Jalen Knox, who, I mean, literally we talked about him five seconds ago. I can't even remember that he's on the team. Uh, Like, what do you do with those guys? So, I mean, it's it's the one position on offense that, like, I mean, really scares me because this day in college football, like, having one of these receivers be elite is massive – but having question marks on kind of every one of the positions is is definitely concerning. They've got guys. I just don't know who's going to show up. Um, it's, it's, it's tough to see. I mean, I saw a picture of Trey Harris today. He looks like a Greek god, and he was a hell of a player at Louisiana Tech. But there's injury concerns there, along with the other high-price portal guy they brought in. I mean, we just don't know yet with those guys. So there, there's a lot of work to be done with that room.
1: What do you make of the J.J. Henry thing? He hasn't seen the field a ton, but that was a guy post Elijah Moore area. Like, dude, this guy's shifty and quick and could be playing a role in the slot. Um, We talked about the different things they can do at tight end. But, like, that's a fascinating thing to me because he's not your ball control, outside receiver, red zone, throw it up to him, tight guy by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm fascinated if he is a contributor, like, what that actually looks like because he's a talented kid that no one's really ever said anything like the Oh my God! Who are those two kids? Who are the two kids with the same last name that weren't related that I kept mixing up? And it was like they can't put it all together. The two receivers. Oh, um, this is like like less than a year ago. This is what podcasting does to your brain. Like Buckhalter and those guys. I think
0: they're on the. No, no, no! It
1: was. Damn it! One of them caught a touchdown at Alabama, and people were like, "Why doesn't he play more in 2019?" I'll. It'll come to me eventually.
0: Um. The one that Grant Tisdale threw? Oh, Jaden Jackson and Dennis Jackson.
1: Yes, thank you. I knew we were going to get there eventually. Like, even with the whole, like, they had potential thing, you're like, ah, I'm not sure if they fully get it. I haven't heard a ton of that about J.J. Henry. It's just like, when will he kind of take the next step?
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember I was still there when we were recruiting J.J. at of high school. He was at North McKinney in Dallas. Loved his high school tape. Um, his obvious flaws were that, like, he's not an absolute burner, and he is verifiably small, but, like, he runs incredible routes, smart player, tough player, like, loves football, like, every, like, single thing you want about a kid, like, he was that. Uh, He's had opportunities. I mean, he was on the field against LSU in 2021. He almost caught a deep ball. Like, he's gotten there. I just don't know, like, where that ceiling's at with him, you know, kind of when you're a player like that, eventually you you kind of take the reins of a position. He hasn't really been able to do that yet, which leads me to believe that he will just be a depth guy for them. I mean, Dayton Wade was a walk on from Western Kentucky who got like significantly more snaps. Um, Maybe this year's different. I don't know. Maybe put on more weight is working a lot of things. I mean, it's honestly impressive that he's still at Ole Miss. He would seem like a prime candidate to head back to like North Texas or Houston or something like that. Um, So he's, he's working through it, which is a testament to him. Um, So I would like to see him get a lot of reps. I love that kid. He was one of my favorite kids we've recruited. Um, It has not really worked out to the level that I think a lot of people thought, um, but that doesn't mean it's too late necessarily.
1: I'll never forget the first COVID year. I just moved out to Dallas. I started streaming games for the Dallas Morning News, and I covered one of his high school games, and I can't remember who was against. I don't think it was uh, one of those programs that anyone would have heard of. It was definitely not the –
0: no, I, th- not- I thought they were playing uh, legacy because you said, "Oh shit, that's a tight end that's committed to Ole Miss." That's
1: exactly that. was it was not Allen or it wasn't Westlake, but I remember seeing. No, him they not- were
0: playing. Uh, it's it's uh, Mansfield Legacy.
1: Yeah, that's know. exactly who it was, and I was like, "Damn!" Like, who's this kid? And then I like looked at, it. I was like, "Oh, he's committed to Ole Miss." And this was like pre Rebel Grove, pre me starting a podcast, post leaving media. And I was like, "Oh, probably should know that," but. Be that as it may, fascinating position group. They're going to rely on a ton of young guys. Well, a couple of miscellaneous topics before we get out of here. I know you talked, you mentioned to me you watched the Florida State uh, press conference today. I did not hit this. You're going to have to fill in the gaps here, but I did see that basically their entire like board and president just gave a state of the union about why the ACC sucks. Please explain to me why this happened on August second, twenty twenty three. This is hilarious.
0: Well, so these things have been popping up throughout the kind of conference realignment talk where like all of these universities have public Board of Regents meetings. Like It's nothing new. Um, You can go and watch them. Uh, Just no one ever gave a shit so they would never watch them. So the Florida State one came out and after the comments from the the director of the board yesterday talking about like there's going to have to be a lot of talks about this situation, a lot of people were like, okay, let's tune in to see what their meetings like tomorrow. Well, 1,500 people tuned into the meeting on YouTube uh, to watch the first 30 minutes being like approving a new nursing school and a new engineering program with FAMU and buying a plane or two for the university, uh, throwing out some absolutely insane numbers, by the way, to get all this done. Um, But then they finally got to the the meat of it when the president of the university and athletic director joined the meeting. And basically the unanimous thought amongst every single uh, board of regents member at Florida state was we are in big trouble. We cannot compete at this level. We uh, have to get out. And And when you say compete,
1: you mean this TV revenue and the way we're funded is not going to remain competitive.
0: The points that were made in that meeting are points that you've heard from everybody talking about anything with the ACC impact. 12. they, I mean, their exact words were, we are at a $30 million per year deficit, and over the next 10 years until our you know agreement with the ACC is done, whatever you, uh, granted rights is done, we are going to be less $400 million than a team from the SEC. And that that's was, the
1: real problem with the ACC is they have that weird deal where their granted rights runs through 2035.
0: Yeah. No, Do it's, uh, it's you ever have
1: any idea how old we'll be then? I think I'll be 42.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, so uh, Drew, man, I can't even remember his name, uh, was a former quarterback for Florida State. I had to look him up because he looks like one, but he's now a finance bro who works on his own investment venture capital.
1: I know exactly who you're talking about, but I can't think of the name.
0: Yeah. uh, He was like on Twitter a lot today and he was kind of coming from like the football perspective. And he was like, look, like we either want to compete or we don't. And we're going to have to make that decision because this is big business now. This is not just sports. This is just I mean, this is an investment. And at this current rate, like, you know, not just football, but every single sport, losing that kind of ground with that kind of money is is just unacceptable for Florida State. They even had a board of regents member who, like, demanded a plan to leave the ACC in 12 months. I was like, we need to see a full plan on how we're going to do this. Uh, It was serious.
1: Andy Staples made that point today. He was like, "This press. Con- I saw a tweet that he had without watching the press conference, admittedly. He had a point where he was like, this is all great theater and great fanfare, but I've yet to see a concrete plan about how Florida State or anyone else plans to get out of this, which is fascinating to me.
0: Well, yeah, and I think a lot of the people in the meeting like admitted to the fact that like they don't know what that takes. But what they do know, and you know, something that you just don't hear very often, is a school basically putting the, the for sale sign in their yard and be like, you know we're, without we're, the
1: ability to know if they can move
0: right without you know the the cash flow to actually buy another house you know it's, it's yeah like they, they don't they don't know and you know it's funny I saw one guy tweet uh I think Kevin Clark who works the ringer he's like you know you know this is very you know interesting because the teams that are talking about leaving conferences are doing the exact opposite of the teams that did leave uh who just didn't say a single word they exactly you know, all the, these other guys are in clear panic mode because they know, like, for whatever reason, and they admitted, like they had said that the president and the AD had been talking about this for a year now, like this is a year since this conversation has come up and nothing has changed, which has to be just petrifying for schools in the ACC, especially Clemson and Florida State, because, I mean, they're going to fall behind eventually. It's going to happen. It's a long term deal. But it was actually really interesting to, to watch all of this, you know, people talk about it.
1: That amount of revenue adds up over time. I mean, there's no question about it. And when I say over time, you're talking about three, four years. We're not talking about, oh, in 10 years they're going to be at a huge disadvantage. You're talking about three, four years down the road, like this is going to be a different deal, which is fascinating to me. And like for the sake of like college football and being a fan and being interested, I hope Clemson and Florida State and whoever else we deem relevant at that moment in time get out. I don't really care whether they're able to do it or not. And like the suffering they go through to get there, but yeah. like just clearly as you're like dumb meathead fan, it would be cool to see Florida state and Clemson play in seven games a year
0: that mean anything other than like two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not their fault necessarily, but it's just the, it's the, it's a failure in leadership. Old Miss yeah. was in a conference that had good
1: leadership. The big 10, even though Kevin Warren was a new guy, he was an NFL guy who understood business, good leadership. Guess what? Pac-12, bad leadership big 12 decent. decent-ish. Leader. I know they had a transition, but either of those guys were total dopes. They just got caught in a bad transition. And that's what really explains the plate tectonics of where this thing sits at right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, so many people are frustrated. They're like, this is stupid. Like these conferences and all these commissioners, like they're just doing power plays. They're ruining the fabric of the sport. And in some like aspects, I, I don't even disagree. Like, I think all of this is really stupid. And I wish that you know, we had the five regional conferences still because that was fun. But when you have bad leadership and you make bad deals and the money becomes involved, like this is just the natural progression. Like this is just what you have to do now. And these teams that have kind of sat there and assumed that the worst would like not come and not have that rainy day fund or that rainy day, you know, idea ready are, are, are reaping the issues of it. And I mean, the guy for Florida State, the quarterback was like, you know what's even worse about the ACC is that the SEC's deal is going to come up again before we're out of our current deal. Like this is not even a negotiable aspect of what we're talking about. We have to leave. And now it's just a matter of how and where I think, I think his exact quote was like, it's really not a matter of if it's about when it's about when and how.
1: And the early tenets of that too goes back to my dumb theory of, can you find the SEC network on TV? Is
0: that pretty easy for you? Oh, it's incredibly easy, and literally any any state in the country, it is incredibly easy. Do you know how to find the ACC network? Uh, easier now after that after the deal a few years ago, but no, I do not really know how, but I've, I've come across it.
1: Do you know how to find the Pac-12 network?
0: Uh, no, no chance.
1: Case in point: Why in God's name is that the case? And the same people that were either in positions of power or still in there are the same people that had good TV deals, network deals, and bad ones. And then some of them just kind of either they were retired or got escorted out, left in the middle of this changing landscape. And the teams that had uh, the conferences that had bad leadership are, like you said, reaping the reaction to it. Definitely not the benefits, which is fascinating to me. But uh Last one before we get to soccer corner and only because you brought it up right before we started recording, Iowa State betting scandal.
0: I have a soapbox to stand on on this one.
1: Okay, because I find this fascinating. So I don't have the full details of this. I looked a piece of it up a second ago. I read about it. Uh, generally, I would say headlines and, you know, your clickbait news stories when it happened. Iowa State had a quarterback. I believe his last name is like Decker or something. Bet on Iowa State football games. But his average wager amount, according to David Purdom-Payne of ESPN, was $7.64. That Iowa State kicker, maybe it was, was it Iowa or Iowa State kicker? Iowa kicker. Iowa kicker. Bet on the over-under in one of their games this year. The over-under was 45. It ended at 44. The game is 27-17 Iowa. No clue if the kid missed an extra point in that game, but hmm. Like... Just a wildly pervasive story that we could not possibly encapsulate in the time that we have. But man, what a wild thing to see actually come to the fold in 2023.
0: So here's my my soapbox speech on this. I have no time to listen to the other argument. OK, when you are a professional athlete or you're a college athlete. You cannot bet on the games. You can't do it. You games absolutely- in general are games you played. Games you play, games in general. I totally agree. I will tell you why. It is not about winning the bets. It is about what happens when you lose. I don't care if you bet on yourself, on your team, whatever. If you start losing, you put yourself in incredibly compromising positions. You put yourself in potential debt, which then brings in bad actors. And then you bring in the integrity of the game in general. There is a reason they have these rules. I don't give a shit if the NFL is making billions of dollars off of DraftKings every year. That does not mean that the players should be able to bet on the games. They do bet on the games. They have NIL now. They have under-the-table money. And in the NFL and NBA and everywhere else, they have contracts, which have incentives for them to play well and to win. They have bonuses at the year for wins. Betting on the games – is just a rolling hill of disaster for players. You, they are protecting them from what can happen when players start losing. You lose locker rooms when some guy loses a $2,000 bet because somebody dropped an interception. Uh, I mean, There's just a myriad of reasons why they have these rules in place. I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't care if any media members are whining and complaining because it's not fair because all of the college football and ESPN, they're all making money off of gambling, advertisements, it doesn't matter. You can't do it. There's, I do not care. I will hear no arguments to the other side. You can't do it. There's rules for a reason. It's the one thing you can't do. Sorry about it. Don't bet on games or you're going to get in trouble like this kid did.
1: I don't think there's much like a ton of dissent outside of just bad faith actors trying to get clicks or views or whatever, because I mean, everything you just laid out, like particularly it's not when you win them, it's when you start losing and you think, okay, I'm in a position of power here to some degree. I'm on the field on a Saturday. Like I can't control if we win the game, but damn, I can make, I can shift my power in the direction to lose it. And I know probably most college athletes don't think that way. And the idea that they're going to get down, you know, five figures to a book or something and get, you know, sketchy people involved is probably not common, but it's certainly not impossible. But like, it's the hypothetical example we just brought up The the real example was that that over under in that game that the Iowa kicker bet on was 45. It ended at 44. Let's say Iowa scores a touchdown and that sucker is supposed to be 28-17 and you get to a push. There's three minutes left. What's stopping that kid from just shanking the thing to the left just because? Is it meaningless? Does it really affect anything? No, but it infiltrates the integrity of sports, which I know sometimes people scoff at in terms of other aspects of college sports. But like, that's the whole reason we do this thing. This shit should not be corrupted by outside factors like that.
0: No. And it's not even about just the players themselves. But like, I don't know if you read a lot about this Iowa State guy, but his parents are the ones that set up the account for him. Okay, Isn't, I
1: did not know that. That's even weirder.
0: They're the ones who like hid. That's why he's got like some criminal charges. I think he had some like, you know, kind of other things going on there. I mean, when you oh, surround no. yourselves with these issues, it is a Slippery, slippery, slippery slope that I just I just don't get why anyone think like the Calvin Ridley thing last year. How many people were like, oh, this is so stupid. He's got suspended for a year for gambling. Like, look at all the DraftKings odds. They're like talking about it on Fox before the game start. Don't give a shit. Can't do it. It's the one rule. Don't care. You cannot bet on games. Can't do it.
1: It's, it's, you know, you mentioned the parents piece of it. That's fascinating to me. I mean, when you were working and recruiting, when you dealt with bad actors, it was rarely the kid himself, right? It was the people around him.
0: Absolutely.
1: What's to say the bad actors around said kid that got him to school get in a real bind and they're like, look, I don't care what your coach 100%. tells you. We need this to happen a certain way this Saturday.
0: Yeah. And like you said, like, is that something that's rampant? I doubt it. No, of course not. The idea, but like, it's really more, I mean, the Hunter Decker's kid, he he bet over $3,000. I know the per unit was 7, but I mean, that's a oh, lot. Oh, so money.
1: I didn't know that.
0: No, the per unit was like $7, but there was like 339 total bets. That's a lot of money. You start getting down that kind of money, like you just it just brings in so many different potentially really problematic issues.
1: It's uh it's fascinating. The, the Alabama baseball coach thing is interesting to me, ironically enough, and all this, that pitcher in question for the Alabama baseball team transferred to LSU. <laughs> so congrats to them. Hopefully yeah. if he gets scratched from a start, this is going to raise eyeballs, but man, what a wild wild time in college athletics to wrap up this podcast. It is of course the fastest growing segment on American soil. The real reason we did this podcast as we record this, we are eight and a half days away from the first English Premier League match of the season. It will be on Friday, August the 11th. It will be Burnley against Manchester City. I should have already pulled up the odds. I will do it while I kick it back to you. Is it Man City and everyone else again? Because if they turn to the New England Patriots, I'm honestly just going to be pissed from a content
0: standpoint. I, th- I mean, it, it's close to it. I, I'm not going to give it to them. I'm not going to give it to them, but I, I think it's pretty close to it. Uh, now, last
1: year you gave it to them, and they're minus 125 this year. I believe last year they were in the 200s to win the league, if, I, if I'm not mistaken,
0: Where are you getting minus 125 to
1: win the league? I just Googled something, and it came up to – oh, DraftKings. So, DraftKings, it currently has Man City as minus 125. So, if I gave everyone a tip, congrats.
0: I would hammer it now. That. I think my book is like minus 175 or minus 200. Um, But it was
1: in the 200s last year, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, no. So uh, they're definitely the prohibitive favorite. I think Arsenal is at five to one, which is much lower than they have been recently. Um, They're an improved team who can absolutely make a run. Uh, I'm selling my Liverpool stock. Um, I know they're probably like third or fourth. Third
1: Um, plus 700 compared to the the favorable odds that I pulled up.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it's... There is a lot of competition for the top four. I think there may only be one in Arsenal, and maybe I'm being you know, optimistic that United with some new signings can put together a season to compete. But I think throughout the long run of the season, which you kind of like have seen firsthand, I mean, it's tough to compete with them. So I would put them as a pretty solid favorite.
1: It's like I kept badgering you with questions last year, and it lasted longer probably than you thought. I kept saying, "Are you sure this is Manchester City's to win?" And then we got to February. And I was like, "Are you still sure?" And you kind of yeah. got to the point where, you're like, I think, but I'm not totally positive. And then, of course, kind of when you know nut crunching time came, the uh, Manchester City won the match against Arsenal. Arsenal pissed down their leg against someone in a match that wa- that I watched, but I can't remember. And it was like, I right, this all evened out." This what. Is- what I will ask you about that's fascinating to me as I pull up these odds and react to them in real time you're Manchester United they're plus one thousand yeah. to win the English Premier League Tottenham is plus four thousand did something happen to them did they do a rebuild did they do a reload that seems to me a stark contrast in odds
0: they're the the thing to focus on this summer and it's kind of been the same thing for the last like three summers is is Harry Kane going to still be at Tottenham and okay. a lot of talk and a lot of speculation that there's a chance that he will move on to Bayern Munich this summer. Uh, like more real than it has been in the past. Um, so, yeah. Is that it, him getting it,
1: sacked or is that self-preservation?
0: That is, I need something new. I've been at this club for so many years. Uh, I've got to try something different, try to win a trophy. Uh, he's He's been loyal to Tottenham. And he's the best player they've probably ever had. And he's one of the best strikers in the history of the Premier League. He's the leading goal scorer ever, I think. Uh, it, it's just looking like it's a possibility he's gone. And then are, they have a new manager. They haven't exactly lit the world on fire with signings. I just think that you know those odds probably reflect an pr- appropriate look on Tottenham.
1: As we go down this list, we have uh, Saudi Castle United at its turn plus 2,000. I complained last time that uh, I've not seen the, the second bump from Saudi Castle. We got all excited about the Saudi oil money. They're buying players. Why are they not just buying Man City out of a title? I- I'm d- very disappointed. Like, did live distract them from this? I'm I'm honestly pretty pissed. I'd rather see the guys in the vertical stripes hold a trophy than I would Brooks Kepka make
0: nine million dollars for ninth place. Well, they they haven't done nothing, but they yeah, I would say they haven't been as uh as like dominantly active in the transfer market as you'd think. Um, to the other hand, the Saudi league, which we talked about last time, has been insanely active. So maybe yeah. their investments are a little bit elsewhere uh, besides the club. But um, I think they're absolutely going to compete for top four this year more than they've had in a long time. Uh, they're not going to win it. though. They are not winning.
1: What's hilarious to me is the bottom eight teams in the league, Sheffield United, Town, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Fulham, Everton, Nottingham, Forest, Bournemouth. They're all at plus 100,000 odds. I think the odds makers are just like to hell with this shit. Neither one of them are winning. We're just going to give them all the same odds. You have eight teams in this league that all have the same odds because it's like they got no prayer.
0: Well, I am here today to give you some picks for yes, August. let's go. So I uh I made two picks last week um when looking through the odds. And I've got like two pretty, they're not long shots, but I think they're pretty solid. So the first one is Fulham to be relegated at plus 325. Oh. And then West Ham to be relegated at plus 900. Uh, So West
1: Ham screwed around with relegation last year, correct?
0: I think that they are going, they're going to be much worse this year. I think they, I think their odds at relegation at nine to one is actually insane. Um, I think one of those teams will get relegated, which means I will win some sort of money. Okay. Um, but the West Ham at plus 900, I mean, that that's a crazy odds for me. For a team that lost their best player, that have added absolutely nobody, that are about to sell another striker, they're just – they're terrible. And I think that that is a, a bet I would look at highly.
1: So I had mistaken West Ham actually for uh, leads. Uh, West Ham actually, if my – if this is correct – no, never mind. I had the wrong one. No, I was right. Okay. They end up 14.
0: Yeah, Leeds, is, the... Leeds is not even in it. They got relegated.
1: Yeah. I was looking at the 2021, 2022 season that told me that uh, West Ham was seventh place. I was like, that doesn't sound right. I had the wrong browser up. Um, oh, yeah. Leeds, Leicester City, and Southampton all got relegated. That felt very just. I'm not really sure how Southampton stayed up. I think they stayed up for a year since we started doing this podcast ever since uh, the real life Ted Lasso was fired uh, Leeds is dead to me. So good riddance to them. I hope they get to that league that uh Ryan Gosling or whatever the hell that got Ryan Reynolds, whoever it is, is uh, funding a team in and yeah. then Leicester city. How rare is it for a team that won the premier league, like less than a half decade ago to be in league two that many years later?
0: I mean, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's m- probably more crazy that they won than that. They're out now. Yeah. Cause it uh, was
1: like the greatest statistical odds upset in sports history.
0: Yeah, so I mean it's insane, and they they were before then kind of like an up and down. I mean the video, the crazy video of the Watford Leicester game to go into the Premier League that I sent you that one time where they missed the PK, they come down with like five seconds left and score to go in. Like Leicester was involved in that, so like they're kind of a up and down club, but they've invested a lot of money. It's a pretty big disappointment for them to actually go down. My Brentford bees appear to just
1: be thoroughly content with residing in like the ten to fourteen range. We got up. We're uh, sharps. We're the uh, cal- card counters at the blackjack table. We don't need to win shit. We just need to stay up and count this money.
0: Yeah, I mean, can't go wrong with that. You make a lot of money doing that. And they're they're, they're like them and Brighton. They're probably like in these middle tier clubs. Like probably the two best run, uh, two best coaches. I mean, they're just like really solid in what they do. And you can make a lot of money and stay up there for a long time and be really competitive when you're that that case. So though you may not like play European football all the time, even though Brighton, I believe, is this year, uh, it doesn't really matter. You're still in. All right, last
1: thing I have for you. I'm going to put your analysis to the test. Outside of the three teams we talked about earlier, Man United, Chelsea, Newcastle, Tottenham, and just for shits and giggles, I'll throw Aston Villa in there. If one of those teams that I just listed, that's again, Man United, Chelsea, Newcastle, Tottenham, and Aston Villa, if one of them became the arsenal of last year where I pester you with questions about are you sure they're not they're, this team's not going to win the league, what would you wager on?
0: I would wager on United, for sure. Uh, okay. I just have so much confidence in Ten Hogg, the coach, and what they've been able to do. I mean, their preseason hasn't like blown anybody away, uh, but they've made really important signings. Uh, they've signed a new striker. They've signed a new midfielder. They're going for another midfielder, and then they replaced the goalie finally. And I think that they're going to play a style that they've like been trying to implement, but just haven't had the right players. I would not be surprised if they are competing. I do not think they will win the league. But that would be the one team uh, out of those that I would be like, yeah, I'm not surprised that they're within you know five to eight points somewhere in March or April.
1: You heard it first here. Take his picks. Cash them in. Who needs Skybox? He is Walden Rodenberg, world-renowned soccer expert. I appreciate the time. If there's any doubt that you've had influence on this podcast, I looked up the start of the Premier League for like the third time, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, like two Saturdays from now, I'm actually going to have something to watch. as that drink coffee on Saturday morning? Oh, it's going to be I great. I like am actually excited about it. So
0: no, I can't wait. I really like cannot wait. It's going to be a fun season. It really is.
1: I'm excited too. Hopefully it'll be a fun American football season as well. I appreciate the time I'm in. We'll check in a week or and a half or so into camp, and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: All right. Sounds good.
1: All right, that's going to do it for our show today. We will heart you a little bit later on this weekend. I think I'm going to record a uh, Grill Corner with Greg, so if you have some questions, throw them my way, and we'll have tons of football for you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast as always. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to another fun football season. We'll catch you here in a day or two.